of John as we take a few moments to look and read this word and then in a few moments to go through it a little bit more in detail. John chapter 14, we're beginning in verse 1 and reading down through verse 7. This is part of the Lord's words to his disciples as he was with them at the Last Supper, the night in which he would be arrested and the night before he would be crucified. John 14, chapter 1, following says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the way where you are going. We do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Amen. Now please be seated and join me in prayer. Our Father, we are grateful for these words. How long ago the Lord Jesus, after delivering some hard words to his disciples, immediately spoke to them words of comfort and promise. And Lord, we are grateful that you not only spoke these words to them long ago, but you have spoken them through the gospel to us today. And so, Lord, as we would purpose to look in these, we thank you for this word. We thank you that it is still authoritative, even as it was when Jesus said these things. The word was true then, it is still true because of your authority. You are God and you do not change. You have not left your throne, nor have you given your power to another. So we thank you that these words are still authoritative. Lord, we acknowledge that these words are necessary. You put them here not just for filler, but because your people need this word. And we thank you for giving us your scriptures. So, Lord, we we would pray for grace because we need it, that you would give us hearts that are hungry for what we need and not for what we don't need, and therefore that we would receive gladly your word this morning. We thank you that your word is also clear, that it is in a language that we can understand, in concepts that are accessible to us. We, we don't have to look at these and, and be curious, uh, except that we would like to know fully what they mean. You have not made it hard nor hidden it from us, but nevertheless, Lord, we are dependent upon your Spirit to give us full understanding. For we acknowledge there are scholars who look at this and miss its point, while there are little children who grasp it perfectly. And Lord, we thank you that your word is sufficient that we don't need to go to your word and read from it and then come away wondering, well, where else do I need to look to find out how to be right with God, how I should live my life in light of God, that your word has given us what we need. Oh, Lord, I thank you for that. Thank you for your great love. And so, Lord, as we come to you this morning with your word open, may you also open our hearts and grant us understanding of these things that as a result of hearing your word today, We would love you more and obey you even more fully. Thank you for your mercy through our Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray these things in his name. Amen. Several years ago, the Wright Guard Company took a survey 
And the survey was about a strange thing for the right guard company to do. It, it was a survey of what would be the most dreaded phrases in the English language. And they came back with, these are, are but some of them. Here are, are things that people, when they hear these things, a sense of dread arises. Maybe the phrase that they think of is, uh-oh. See if these ring a bell with you. The boss wants to see you. I've had an accident. There's a leak upstairs. Can I borrow your credit card? We need to talk. There's another phrase that's not on that survey, but it's one that I think would resonate with most of us. That is, don't worry, it's going to be okay. I don't know about you, but when I hear a phrase like that, it makes me tempted to worry because I wonder what it is that needs to be made okay. The disciples, in the context in which we just read this scripture, were in that situation. We did not read chapter 13, but if we were to read chapter 13, here's what it would say in summary. The Lord Jesus, at least through part of it anyway, the latter part of the chapter, the Lord told the disciples that one of them was going to betray him. On the heels of that, he said he was going to go away to where they could not follow, at least not for, for now. And then he told Peter that Peter was going to deny him. Talk about a bunch of words that would give you grief, a heavy heart. So it is with gratitude that we read the first words in chapter 14 that says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Now when people in our day and age say, Don't worry, everything's going to be okay. We could look at that and say, how do you know? You don't know that. Uh, that's what you wish. You're just trying to, to calm me down so I don't increase your troubles by being upset. But we're not talking about just anybody who said these words. This is Jesus, the Lord. So when he says, not, let, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me, he's not just blowing smoke. He's not just trying to put a happy face on a bad situation. He is saying something from knowledge and from power and authority to bring about the results that he is saying will happen. He goes on to give them good reasons why they shouldn't be afraid, why they shouldn't be troubled. He tells them that in his father's house there are many rooms, and he was going to prepare a place for them there. On top of that, he said that he was going to come and take them to himself, that where he would be, they would be also. Perhaps because of their time with him, they began to relax a little bit. Well, that's more like it. That sounds better. But as soon as he says that, then he says something else which puts them back on guard. He says in verse 4, And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas had the courage to speak up. And said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And suddenly there's this fear that probably is arising in them again. And then the Lord speaks up and gives them a definitive answer that is true even to this day. And for the believer then and for the believer today, these are the greatest words of hope that we can hear I am, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, these words should be attached to your heart, highlighted with bright lights, and should be resonating with joy now and forevermore. Because these words are not merely wishful thinking. They are the words of truth that give us eternal hope and a certainty of life with God in peace and joy. Let's look at these words for these next few moments and see what they might tell us. As I say that, I'm humbled by this greatly. There's no way we can begin to exhaust the meaning of these words. During these next few moments, all that we could really hope to do is to touch upon some of the great glory and blessings that God has hidden within these texts. But even a brief journey through them should fill our hearts with joy. So I would invite you to join with me as we look at God's promises and the declaration of truth that should shape our understanding. Notice, first of all, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way. And later on, we might say, well, what? The way to what? But the second part of verse 6, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So what Jesus is talking about here is the way to the Father, a way to God. That Jesus says, I am the way. There are some things that we would do well to understand that. First of all, we need to understand that by being the way, it means that God, that the Lord Jesus has direction for us to the Father. That, that being the way, he would provide direction. That's part of this. But notice that the direction is not geographical. Jesus didn't say, I know the way. Go down five miles and then hang a left and go two blocks and then uh, go into the building and go up to the third floor and there you'll find him. It's not that kind of way. Jesus says, I, speaking of himself, am the way. We read those words today in the present tense, just like he spoke them 2,000 years ago. And you know what? That's still true. Present tense is still applicable. Jesus still is the way. So he gives us direction. And if we are to go to the Father, we must go to Jesus for that direction. Notice that the direction is also personal and spiritual. What do I mean by that? First of all, Jesus said, I am the way. Again, he does not say, this is the way. Here, here's, here's a map. Uh, here is the way. But he himself personally is the way. To get to the Father, we must have a personal response to and going to the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice also that we are going to the Father. Jesus did not say, I want you to go to this religious practice. I want you to take this series of, of ethics, this, this written instruction of codes, and, and lead you to that. I, I'm going to send you to a place where you can learn how to, to uh, offer sacrifices or, or go through religious rituals or, or wear a certain kind of attire or follow a prescribed course of action. No, the Lord is leading us to the Father. So a person is leading us to a person. It is a personal response and not a, series, a list of, of directions. It is spiritual because the Father is spirit. 
The Lord Jesus said in John chapter 4 to the woman at the well, God is spirit, and those who would worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So this isn't, again, a geographical thing. The Lord isn't saying, go to this place. He's saying, go to him, and he will give access to the Father, which is another important point. Access is key. It's one thing to to say, okay, now I know the directions. I know Jesus is the way. And I know a lot about Jesus. I've heard a lot about him. I've been in Sunday school ever since I was a kid, or I've read my Bible some, or somebody gave me a pamphlet or a tract, and I know about Jesus. I know some facts about him. I like the guy. I even celebrate Christmas. I celebrate his birthday. But knowledge about him is not the same thing as having access to the Father. Several years ago, about 20 years ago, in fact, almost exactly 20 years ago, my family and I had the opportunity to travel to Washington, D.C. We had a nice trip there, and as part of that, we were able to go into a a White House tour. And you get to go into the, the east wing of the White House, and then you get to go into the main part of the White House, which is the living area, and they let you go into certain rooms. And while we were going through it, we ran into a a friendly Secret Service agent, and we were talking to him a while. And we almost began to think maybe he would let us go into other places in the White House. Maybe he would let us have a peek down this hallway or go down to this place, but he didn't. The president, we understood, was in the building at that time. We were close to the president, and we had a good rapport with the Secret Service agent, but you know what? We didn't have access to the president. And without access... We got to see a nice place, but we didn't get to see him. Now, we were content because we were there to see the White House. But Jesus isn't calling us to go and see a place, is he? He's calling us to go and see a person. And we need access to that person. How do we gain access to the person of God? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Notice the Lord Jesus says something very exclusive. He says, I am the way. The other words also, later on, we're going to talk about, all use that word the, don't they, if you notice. The way, the truth, the life. Sounds kind of exclusive, doesn't it? In our culture today, we talk a lot about the word inclusive. But part of being inclusive in God's kingdom is there has to be a certain exclusivity too. When God wants to bring us into a relationship with him, he does it through one way, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the scripture tells us in in Revelation 5 and in Revelation 7 that at that day, there will be people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue worshiping in the presence of the Lord. But it also tells us that there is one way that they got there, That's through the Lord Jesus Christ. No one will be excluded from the kingdom of God because of their nation, tribe, or tongue. But no one will be admitted on that basis either. The basis upon which we will be received if we are received in the presence of God in a peaceable way is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said that, not me. The scripture says that, not some historical... uh, manifest that was just made up by man. This is from God himself. There are many ideas that people will set forward today 
They will put forward the idea that any way will work. They will say it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere and that kind of thing. But Jesus is not having that. Jesus says, I am the way. If we are to find our way to God into a right relationship, we must go in the appointed way that is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when that happens, one day we will find ourselves surrounded by the people from every nation, tribe, and tongue who have entered that same way. Jesus is the way. But he didn't stop talking about his role in our salvation, did he? He goes on to say another statement right after that. I am the way, he said, and the truth, it goes on to say. The truth. Again, not a truth, but the truth. It's an interesting phrase. We hear the word truth a lot today in our society. And one of the things I've observed over the years about the concept of truth is that it seems to be a rather flexible thing in culture. That is, what was held to be true 30 years ago might not longer be held to be true today. And something that was held to be false 30 years ago might now be held to be true. But if you think it's resolved, wait 30 more years, and you'll find that there's another set of things that are considered true, and some things that are considered true today that will be false then. And so it goes, as culture determined things. And by culture, I mean the people who are in position to influence the opinions of people, the fickle opinions of people. We will call them perhaps sometimes the authorities. Maybe it's those in government office who will put forth pronouncements that say, this is the right way. It may be the media who, who says, this is the right way. It may be people we call influencers, people in social media who say, this is the right way. Sometimes they're all on the same page. Sometimes they have differences. But that is what often gives rise to what is considered truth in our culture. And over and against that, God's word comes and tells us that Jesus says of himself, I am the truth. He defines the truth, to which we might object. These words were spoken 2,000 years ago. How can something that was true 2,000 years ago still be true today, given the fact that we, we redefine what truth is? And that's exactly the point. God has not given consent to the redefinition of truth. That which was stated as truth by God at creation is still true. And it will be true. And it will not be, become untrue. The culture may say it's untrue. The culture may hold a different view. But when it comes to the end and we say, what was true, Lord? What is true and right? The Lord, without apology, says that he is the truth. And that is still something we can count on. What does it mean that, this, that he has said this? First of all, that there is such a thing as eternal unchanging truth. That's good news or bad news, depending on what your view is. Because if you would like to do certain things today or believe certain things today or follow a certain course of action today, and it is in accordance with what the culture says is okay, but it is different from what God says is true, that's not good news to believe and understand that there is eternal truth, that God does not put his opinions to us for a vote because what he says is not ultimately an opinion. It is truth. 
It is what God knows to be true and has decreed, declared to be true. So that is, in one sense, bad news if we would like truth to be a malleable, changeable thing. But if you are trusting in God and, and holding to his promises and looking to what he has said as your hope, that's great news because God does not change, nor do his promises go out of date. And that's also a warning. Neither do his promises of judgment go out of date either. And my friends, if we neglect the word of God, if we neglect God's message to the world, if we neglect the salvation that he has provided through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the promise of God's word is that there will be judgment that will ensue. The scripture says, he who has the Son of God has life, but he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That there is a truth that God has laid down there that is still reliable today, which is another great point, that this truth is from God. It is he who has determined it, it is he who has revealed it, and it is he who will uphold it. Even if the entire world were to hold a poll today, we were to take an opinion poll all around the world, and we were to say, we would like this certain thing to be true, and it's in contradiction to God's word, guess what's true? God will not erase something because human beings say we don't like it. God will uphold his word and will hold to it eternally. But there's something else about this eternal truth which can be relied upon. It is embodied in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, I am. The I am that he said before the way carries over to these other things too. He could say, I am the truth. He could say, I am the life. All of those things are still true of him. He is today the truth. He embodies it. What do I mean by that? First of all, We can look at his word and know that he is expressing the truth of God. The eternal truth of God can be found in the words and teachings of Jesus. Not only in the words that he spoke directly, the red letters if you have a red letter Bible, but also the words that he gave through his apostles. Those words are as much from Jesus as the words he spoke himself. He sent his spirit to inform the apostles, and they faithfully conveyed what the Lord told them to do. So if you say, well, I just want to obey the the part of the word that God said, that Jesus himself spoke, but the other stuff is optional, you're misunderstanding. All of it is the word of the Lord, and it's still true. So it is found, the truth is found in Jesus' teaching. It's also found in Jesus' actions. Do you want to know what truth looks like? Read what Jesus did. He is the embodiment of the truth. When we talk about loving our enemies, which he teaches, look at what he prayed for on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When he talked about uh, addressing the truth against people who are hostile to it, he spoke to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the authorities who, who rejected his message, and he told them they were wrong. And they, they sought to kill him because of that. And in their mind's eye, that's why he was being killed though God was achieving an eternal purpose that they didn't understand by sending his son to die and by his death to provide an atoning sacrifice, dying in the place of his people, pouring out the wrath of God on him on the cross so that God's people could be declared free. That's good news. And it's based on the truth of God's word. 
Ultimately, it is embodied in the Lord Jesus himself. It is not based on human will. It is not based on human emotions. We might say, this just doesn't feel good. I don't like what he says. It doesn't matter. God's words are true. It doesn't even matter whether uh, we, we sincerely believe that something else is right. If it is in opposition to God's word, our sincerity is not enough to overturn God's word. Several years ago, a young man had visited his grandmother, and he was driving in a part of town with which he was not familiar, and as he returned to the highway on which he had come, he took a left turn back onto the highway to head back home. As he was driving along in this two-lane highway, suddenly he noticed an oncoming car in the lane in which he was driving. He was driving uh, east, and the car was coming west, and they were in the same lane, which is a bad thing on a highway. The young man quickly pulled off the highway and observed that not only did that car come by in that, in that lane, in the left lane, another car came by, and another car. And pretty soon he figured out, I'm going the wrong way. And so he turned around and got back on it. And as he drove back to where he had turned, sure enough, there was a sign there that said, do not enter. It was a four-lane divided highway. And he, from where he was, could only see two of the lanes. The other two were separated a little ways, and there were some woods there. It didn't matter that he sincerely believed this was the right way. It felt good to him. It was the same way he had come to get there. But the fact of the matter is, it was wrong. It wasn't in accordance with the truth. Thank God that no one was injured. He learned a lesson that day. Watch out for those do not enter signs. Today, there are many people who are going past the do not enter signs in the world that God has placed here. In God's word, it tells us there are some things we should not enter. It tells us in God's words there are some things we should do. But it also tells us this, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. At one time or another, all of us have entered a do not enter sign. Others, other times we have failed to go where we should. We've all sinned. We're short of God's glory. And because of that, we're subject to God's wrath, except that God has made a way. For forgiveness of our sins and being made right with God through repentance and turning to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When one does that, one is given a forgiveness from God that is irrevocable. God forgives sin. God grants that through the new birth that comes through, through the Lord's work in our hearts, He gives us eternal life, and that life will not be taken away. You know, it, truth is real. Truth is declared by God. He's the one who determined it, and it is embodied in Jesus Christ. This morning, if you are not living in accordance with the truth of God's word, please look at his word. Fall on your knees or maybe on your face and cry out to him, Lord, please save me on account of the Lord Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, give thanks to him for the mercy he has given you to know that Jesus is the truth. But Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? He goes on to say one more thing. I am the life. The life. Now, we all know what life means, don't we? We means to have existence, right? To have a living and breathing existence. But that's not really fully what the Lord is getting at here. Because the fact of the matter is, by looking at God's word, one of the things that we can know is that everybody is going to exist eternally. There's not going to be a point at which some people will be 
uh, living and they get to go and be with God and then everybody else just stops existing. God's scripture tells us that there will be this time, we read it earlier as I read it out of Acts 17 earlier, where God is going to judge the world through Jesus. And for those who are living with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have come to this way, who have entered this new and living way through the Son of God and are in right relationship with God, they will be with him eternally. The others, they will also have an eternal existence apart from the right relationship with God, apart from him in a place of fire, a place of judgment, ultimately reserved for the devil and his angels, and they will join the devil and his angels in that place of eternal judgment. That's based on God's word. It's not my opinion. It's not taken by some survey or poll. It is determined by what God says, and therefore it's true. The good news is Jesus is the life. That present is is still true. He is today the life, and you're alive today. And if you're alive today and you are hearing this word, you have hope because the great one who has life is available, and he will give you life. It is more than mere existence. It is the quality and kind of life that he's talking about. Jesus put it this way. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that they might have life and have it abundantly. John 10.10. The Lord is talking about something more than mere existence, but a life that is lived with a vibrant connection to God. It was also put this way in John chapter 17. When the Lord was praying to the Father... He said this in John 17, 3, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Do you hear that? When we're talking about him being the life, he really is the life. This is life. In our world today, we will hear that, Hey, if you really want to live, go do this experience. Take this thing into your body. Go to this place. Go to this, uh, do this activity with this person. They find life as a series of activities. Unfortunately, a lot of those activities are in violation of what God said is true. And they are, instead of leading us to genuine life, they distract us from that genuine life. They keep us from thinking about it. And day after day after day, we postpone the thought about our eternity and about even our, our, our rightly lived life in the present. And as we defer that, we get closer and closer to that day of judgment. Until one day, the day comes, and we're planning on having another day of living it up according to the world's ways. And we find that our time has run out. My friends, if you want to know life, know Jesus. If you do not know Jesus, I don't care how active and busy you are, you do not know life, and you most certainly will not know life in the age to come. This is not a word that is meant to be mean. It is not meant to be hard. It is a word that is meant to be kind. God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. What do I mean by repentance? Repentance is the idea of turning. Turning from, from one direction to another. When the Apostle Paul wrote or visited the church at Ephesus, as recorded in Acts 20, he talked about what repentance meant. And he says, I talk to you in, in public and from house to house of repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. 
Understand this morning that when we talk about repentance, we're not talking about turning from one list of behaviors to a different list of behaviors. There was already a, that was already done in the past. That's called the law. That, that here is a list of proscribed behaviors. You can't do that. And here's the things you should do instead. The problem is just giving a list of behaviors is inadequate. What Paul talked about was repentance toward God. And that's what Jesus is talking about here, isn't he? I am the way. No one comes to the Father but through me. Repentance is turning toward God. Now, if we turn toward God, that's going to affect our behaviors. It will affect our choices. Because if I'm now a companion of the Lord, if his spirit indwells me, that's not going to go unaffecting in my life. God's word will become important to me. God's opinions will become important to me. And by opinion, I mean what he wills and what he says we should do. God's word and truth matter, and it will affect our lives. So uh, that is important. That is key, that we must turn toward God. And so therefore, Jesus gives us a way to do that, the only way to do that, because he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Is there any other way to get to the Father? Maybe there's another way. Maybe, uh, maybe through a different religion. Maybe through good works. Maybe because of my affiliation with the church. Or maybe because I, I am related to someone who is a godly person. Maybe these ways will work. Jesus does not allow for that, does he? By saying that he is the way, he is excluding all other ways. There is one way, and that is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you be in right relationship with God? There's another term we use to describe that. We call it being saved or salvation. That's, a, that's one of those religious phrases that people use a lot. But one of the things that I think people don't understand is really what that means. What does it mean to be saved? I mean, how is it that we're made safe? What is it we're, that we're being made safe from if we're saved? Well, I'll give you a short answer this morning. There's more implications, but two very important aspects of that. One is being saved from sin. The angel, when he told about the coming of Jesus, he said that he will be called Jesus, meaning salvation, that's what his name means, because he will save his people from their sins. One of the things the Bible shows is that sin that is rebellion against God is enslaving. Adam and Eve sinned against God. They thought it would expand their consciousness Instead, it enslaved them and brought them to ruin. That's what sin does, and it has infected the entire human race ever since then. He saves us from that enslavement and lets us walk in freedom in right relationship with God as we're designed to do. And though we're not yet perfected, the day will come when we are brought into his presence and we will walk in perfection in his, in, without sin anymore. I can't wait for that day. But it also, importantly, means this, freedom from wrath of God. Because the consequences of that sin are death. The consequences, the wages of sin, as the Scripture tells us in Romans, is death. What sin earns is death. John put it this way a little bit uh, earlier in the, in the Gospel of John. He says in John 3.18, Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already 
because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And that's where it is this morning, my friends. There is one way to God, one way to a right relationship with Father, and that's through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But apart from that, if you are not in Christ, you are condemned already because you have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. In his kindness, God made a way through the Lord Jesus Christ. That kindness is extended, and it's set before you and for me. Which way will you go? Which way are you going now? My friends, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to the Father through him and be saved, because with Jesus, you are safe. Join me in prayer, please. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the kindness that you sent the Lord Jesus Christ to intercede for us, to intervene for us on the cross. Thank you that you know our condition, that though all of us were by nature from our childhood, from our birth, hostile to you, that nevertheless you, by your grace, have extended eternal life to many through new birth, through faith in the Lord Jesus. Lord, we would pray for that grace this morning. We rejoice, Lord, for everyone here who has had that new birth, who, who is following the Lord Jesus, knows the way. They know the truth and they know the life. And we thank you that that is by your grace that they do. And they have hope of eternal life. Not wishful thinking, but a sure, confident expectation of knowing you. But Lord, I would pray for others this morning. That even today you would stir in the hearts of people that that need to know you, that need to follow you, and that doing so, that you would open their hearts and grant new birth to them as well, that they would hear their master's voice and follow you as a sheep follows its shepherd. Lord, please be gracious to us. For unless you are gracious to us, we have no hope. But I thank you that you offer eternal hope through the Lord Jesus. And I pray these things in his name. Amen.